Hello and welcome to the Position 6 podcast. My name is Dan Offen, aka Mr Big Germs. In this show, I get to know people involved in the Dota 2 scene and I talk to them about everything Dota related, aside from filling your quick buy with Wraith bands. Thanks once again for tuning in, and if you're listening for the first time, I do have a good number of great other episodes you can check out after, or even before you listen to this, so head back through to my short archives if you're after more Dota chat. My episode last week was with Heen, and I think it was a really good chat. This week's episode is with one of the best-known Dota players and personalities, Cinderin. Cinderin is one of the few people to have attended every single international, having attended four as a player and four as a caster, and managing to commentate two finals in that time. He's been in far too many teams for me to list now without making the podcast about 10 minutes longer, but he's played with some of the all-time greats, and I think he's a really wonderful, underrated player. I recorded the interview on Thursday the 22nd of November, so just last week, so it is a little bit before some of the qualifying events I talk about with Syndrome which have now taken place, but I don't think there's anything that's actually out of date, so you shouldn't have to worry. The interview will start after this short song. What is it that you're up to at the moment? So right now I'm playing with my team. We're called mm-hmm. Happy Guys. Uh, we've had one LAN attendance in Las Vegas, which is yeah. about a month ago, I think. And you did pretty um, well at that, didn't you? Yeah, we got third, uh, which most people expect us to get dead last. So <laughs> it, it went fine. Were you one of those people expecting dead last or were you expecting to do quite well? Honestly, I didn't really know what to expect going in. First of all, we were playing with a stand-in and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be our first LAN attendance with this team. I think a couple of the players, all of the players in the team had played LANs before, but not having like massive LAN experience. So you don't really know how it's going to gel with everything. It's the first time all of our players even meet in person. Oh, wow. Because we hadn't had any boot camps, but it turned out pretty good. So that was great. I was very overall very satisfied with how the team like functioned as human beings together on LAN. How did that team end up coming together? Basically, I was looking to... I wasn't sure if I was going to play right at the start of the season or not, so I was just looking around, seeing, okay, what opportunities are there? What players are available? Is there anything meaningful that we can put together? And then I started contacting them and building this up from the ground myself. That's exciting. I've played with none of them before, so it's it's very new. Yeah, you've played with a huge number of players over your career, so is it always important to you to play with new players and new talent? Not necessarily. Uh, there's definitely people I've played with in the past that I would play with again. It's more, I think, building a successful team right now, it's very good to have a mix of experience and new players. So because you get a different perspective, the more experienced players will maybe be a little bit more conservative in their thinking and their playing and in how they approach drafts, whereas some of the newer talent are very... They obviously play extremely many pub games, trying to get noticed, and they get accustomed to a different kind of game than people that play a lot of practice do. So it's good to have this kind of mix so you can get the best of both worlds in a way. I think it's a recipe that other players will also say been successful. You've seen prior success stories, right? You saw Samil going into EG, yeah. a DAC. You saw OG picking up Topson, uh, who had very limited competitive experience before TI. It's good to look for these new players. It's also about the, how to say, uh, when it comes to the personalities and the attitude players have toward the game. I think something good can be said about these uh, new upcoming players that really want to prove themselves because they're very willing to listen and don't have necessarily as much of an ego as some of the more experienced players because they don't have the accomplishments, right, to yeah. to maybe give themselves that ego. So it can be really good to 
to keep things in check, you can't have too many chefs in the kitchen. At the same time, you need to have at least one. So yeah, would you normally describe yourself as the chef of the team? Uh, I would say I'm more of an enabling captain, if that makes that makes sense. Uh, I'm very like open-minded. I'm willing to listen, take ideas in. It's not my way or the highway kind of style, as I would imagine some other captains would run their teams a bit more strictly. Yeah. Uh, and I would say sometimes that's a strength and sometimes it's a weakness. And I'm trying to find the right balance where, you know, sometimes you got to put your foot down and be like, we can't do all of these things at once or uh, we can't have like 15 ideas in the same draft and I'm doing my thing now. But I, at the same time, I want my team to feel, I want it to feel inclusive, like people are being listened to. And if somebody has a cool idea, we don't just like ignore it or disregard it entirely, but give it a, the fair attention it deserves. So so in this team, you've got, in terms of players that I was previously aware of, it's you and Illidan, who I've, I've been a fan of for a long time. Where do you think kind of Illidan is in his career at the moment? What's kind of led him to this team? Good question. He's mainly been playing in CIS teams. Uh, actually almost exclusively I think until this point and I was talking to him and he said uh, he wants to try to play more in an international kind of team in his opinion when it comes to the CIS region the team infrastructure just the attitude of the players is very how to say I don't want to say cutthroat that's not the right word for it but I think they're very they're all very strict and a bit more hot-headed maybe Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to it so if teams start having trouble winning games or troubles with slumps and inconsistencies uh, this is his story it's not mine because i've yeah. never you know i haven't played in a cis team but uh, the way he made it sound is that people are way more likely to you know just get angry with each other flame lose motivation want roster shuffles all the time and the reason i'm kind of buying into this idea and believing it is that you know in the past i've been scrimming a lot of these cis teams and Sometimes we would play a team, and then one week later, we scrim them again, and they have two new players. And one oh, week wow. later, we scrim them again, and they have another two new players. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? Like, how little patience, attention span do you guys have? <laughs> to, so, but, you know, you can't say the same for everyone, right? Because there's obviously some other CIS players that have more of the qualities that I would be looking for, for example. But from his experience, it seems very uh, unstable. I guess you can look at a team, so the most successful team in Virtus Pro, who have been together yes. for a long time but it often feels like it's so aggressive and close to it that the only reason they've stayed together is because they've been so very successful over these past few years they're very good <laughs> yeah exactly. it's easier to stay motivated and stay together if you're winning a lot or getting a lot yeah. of at least top three finishes and vp have Which, been amazing for like two years so you know consistently i was going to ask about them and the um Kuala Lumpur major do you think they were deserving winners of it did you watch much of the major just a decent amount i think the top three was the right teams. And I think, you know, when when it gets to that stage and these teams play against each other, a lot of the time in these competitive games, it's about uh, who, in a way, who figures out the meta of the grand finals the faster. Like, okay, what kind of heroes is it we need? Who has the best creative idea on the spot? It went to all five games, right? And you just need, it was very close. I would say both Secret and VP deserved to win. I don't think there was a team that was significantly better than the other. They were both very, very good. And yeah, VP won this time. Uh, I think last time the two faced in the finals, I believe Secret maybe won. I'm not 100% yeah, sure. They they've, they've had the fair share of top threes over the last year. So, of course, it's yeah, it's about the day. Yeah. And EG got third, yeah? Yeah, they did, yeah. To just rephrase what I said before a little bit, I think EG were a little below the other two. So I think that was a deserved placement for them. They didn't like, it wasn't a fluke that they placed over the other teams. I just think third was probably the perfect placement. When you look across the tournament and how the games were played, I think EG placed exactly where they should. One more question on Kuala Lumpur while we're on it. Would you say there are any surprises in teams performing particularly well or particularly badly from what you'd have expected? I think I would have expected LGD to do better. They placed 
fifth, sixth. I think they were a team going into the tournament that probably a lot of people would have expected top three. Apart from that, somebody who overperformed, it's hard to say with a team like NIP, right? They go in, there's, there's a lot of the best teams in the world. NIP haven't looked like fantastic. They've looked good, yeah. but they even had a stand-in, but things worked out very well with Mind Control. And then people were, some people were like, ah, oh, NIP only plays high because Mind Control played like a god, but it also takes a good team to make a player look good. So you mm -hmm. can't give him all the credit and who knows how well they would have played with 33. It's always a speculation. And you can never count PPD out, I think. Of course not. It's not a coincidence. I wouldn't call NIP top four a fluke. At the same time, I don't know if they could realistically have gone further than this in this tournament. They were close with EG, though, so maybe. They were like, really who, close, who knows? Yeah. Uh, they did very well. So going back to your team again, so yeah. talking about the kind of the newer players in it, what's your process You've across your career? One of the questions I've written down is that you've discovered so many talents. There's been people like, I believe, Keizu and so on who have played with you over the years. Yep. What's been your process for discovering new people? Well, mainly the main things I've been looking for is obviously when you play Dota a lot and you play a lot of public games, you run into some names over and over again. And depends what kind of role I'm trying to fill in the team, what I'm looking for because you can have an incredibly mechanically skilled player on a roll, and then he can have other shortcomings. But for example, what I can say with Yapsor at the time when we were making what would then become Escape Gaming that we went to TI6 with, was I'd been playing some games with, with and against him in public games, and he was very impressive. And I don't only look at mechanical skill, I look about if you look at people play a decent amount of games, you can kind of get a read on how they think about the game. Like, what do they value? What is the... It's almost like a fingerprint that every player has. If you follow them enough, you, you can get into the mindset of how they approach the game. And it's important when you build your team that you don't have five greedy players that all just want to hit creeps, right? Because then nothing is ever going to happen in the game. <laughs> but at the same time, if everyone is super kill-hungry and all they think about is, oh, let's kill the next guy, let's kill the next guy, let's kill the next guy... You have all of this, like, you're lacking the diversity in your team to play different strategies and to have, like, true late-game carry player hero combinations and just overall, you know, the ability to calm down and play strategically and not only hunt kills, uh, which <laughs> historically is actually funny enough now that we talk about the CIS scene a bit. That has been one of the CIS scene's uh, shortcomings, in my opinion, and one of the things that has really separated VP from the rest of the teams from the CIS region is that they are better at keeping a calm head and figuring out what the next play is and what the strategically superior decision is to make. So we've had a fair share of CIS teams in the past with really individually skilled players that are very mechanically good, but then when it comes to the big stage and they're playing against the big names, they just lose on strategy, like over and over yeah. again, because they only almost only play one way, and the way they play is very fragile. Like you play fast, you're very kill-hungry. What if a move fails? What if the enemy team is ready for you and they counterplay you in the you kind of run out of steam really quickly. So when it comes to building teams, I look at what kind of player do I need? What First of all, what role do I need to fill? Uh, what type of player mm -hmm. do I want for my role? Oh, I have a really greedy position one carry. I should probably not get a position three who is also very farm intensive. Then I look for someone who's more self-sacrificial. And then you look across the games you've played with people in pubs who, who has impressed you, how they've stood out to you. And for example, I can tell you right now the team I have now with Kazar was the idea that I had uh, was Illidan is more of a conservative hard carry player who has he likes hitting creeps a decent amount and getting a lot of items. So I was thinking for this team building it synergy wise, it's good to have a more active playmaking mid player. And the games I've been playing with and against Kazar in pubs, I got this feeling that he's very active. He likes moving around the map. He likes looking for 
opportunities to exploit and play fast. I felt like that was a compliment to this team. And that was the idea behind getting him. So that's a, a recent example, at least. To get. Do you think the team still has kind of a lot of room to grow? Yes. In its current form? We do. It's, it's still a new team. And there's obviously some things to overcome, right? We have many different nationalities, which many teams do. So it's not something that separates us from everyone else. But we have two CIS players in a Western team. That's pretty uncommon because ours is Ukrainian. And yeah. uh, when it comes to communication and clarity in understanding what's being said and everything it, it's not like it's been a huge problem it's not like we don't understand english but you know the smoothness of everything and being on the same page it takes some time to develop that kind of natural flow and synergy in the game apart from that individually can make a lot of improvement and developing a true team identity with newer players takes some time compared to let's say i had a team with four very experienced players and we took one new guy who is fresh, then you build him into the recipe. Something like what, if you think of Secret, right, right now, they have mm -hmm. some very experienced players. They have Puppy, Yaps, or Zion mid one, and Nisha even has some decent experience from the Polish scene. But as far as top Dota goes, he's the new guy. But he is surrounded by extremely experienced players that have an experienced coach, and so they can build a system where Nisha fits into. For my team, however, it's me and Illidan who are very experienced, and the other three are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, relatively new and inexperienced in the in the bigger games. So we need more time to find that identity and truly find our strengths on each individual player and just improve individually to be as good as these other players are. So absolutely, there's plenty of room to grow and uh, for everyone, really. Did you think that the recent Open Qualifiers were quite a tough break for you? Going out on a best of one in an Open Qualifier for a major is, is tough, I think. I hate Opens. Um, I really dislike them. There's a couple of things about them I dislike. First of all, that they're best of ones, and it's so many games in a row. It's the same for everybody, yeah. so it's not like I'm going to say, oh, the, the deck is stacked against us, because it isn't. It's the same for everyone. It's just, on any given day, you can lose a best of one to a weaker team or to a team that just outsmarts you in the draft. So you have to be on your toes every single game, and if you just mess up once, you're out. And that can happen, especially once again, some more inexperienced teams have a bad draft we're out or we have some miscommunication in a game in two crucial moments you lose in addition to that these open qualifier games which is something that isn't really being talked about very much the side and pick priority is just full-on randomized there's no coin flip you just enter the game okay. and then you get assigned radiant or dire and second or first pick so usually in tournaments there's a coin flip one team picks side what one team picks pick order but you can get into a game in a best of one and you can just be thrown on the worst side with the worst pick order for that game there's not like that's very frustrating. There's not like an inherently worst thing, right? You can't just say, "Oh, it's definitely always worse to be dire," because you can make lineups that are better on dire or radiant, or you can make strategies that are better with first or second pick. But if the combination that you get is the one you favor the least, and you're against a team that favor the other combination the most, and on top of that, in that matchup, obviously teams are good against different things. If that hurts you even harder. It's just annoying, right? Like, I feel yeah. like there should at least be a coin toss when you reach the round of 16 or something. Ideally, the best of ones would end earlier than they do, but there's logistics. So you can't play best of threes the whole way. Then the open qualifiers take like five days, right? That's, it's not yeah, reasonable. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's annoying. And I wish we didn't have to play opens and could go into maybe a slightly bigger regional qualifier where, with a bit more teams. Cause I think we could, we could show decent form, honestly. But, you know, it's the same for all of these open teams and, yeah, we just, just got to do better, you know? That's all there is to it, really. Mm. Um, but I think even just from looking at the... Because obviously last week and the week before, um, I was 
trying to find guests on short notice. So I was looking through all of the um, various teams that were going through. And in so many of these open qualifier teams, there are very experienced players. There are people who have been to internationals, people who have been to major tournaments. It feels, especially in Europe, incredibly stacked at the moment. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Uh, overall, yes. I think the, the thing is, when it comes to these big qualifiers, Europe has some really strong teams at the top of the top, right? There's secret... There is VP, if you want to count them as part of Europe. I guess CIS is really separated now in terms yeah. of qualifiers. But there's Secret, there's Alliance, there's NIP, there's Team Liquid. And then there's all of these teams below them that can always take games off each other. And they can even take games off the bigger teams once in a while. So you go into open qualifiers with many of those teams. And yeah, like you said, there's experienced players. There's some of the best pub players in the region there. You know, any given game, you can beat them or they can beat you. Even thinking back a little while, which is funny now that you think about it in retrospect, the qualifiers for TI, the open qualifiers that OG had to go through, they almost lost two of their games in the open qualifiers that they play. Imagine had they lost. <laughs> like it's, it's, so, it's so crazy to think about the perspective and what's actually going on with these opens. And I remember, I think that was a TI6 as well. Secret had to go through opens because they did roster shuffles. And I remember watching... I think there were one or two of their games in the opens that looked scary, man. They had a, like a 55-minute game against a team that turned out to be like Russian Smurfs or something, all on fake accounts. You know, it's like stuff like that, you know. Why? Why would you be Smurfing in an open? I quite understand. I think aliens or something. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they weren't Smurfing. Maybe they were all just high-rated players that people didn't know or something, and they were playing a good game. Yeah. Secret were close to losing. It's a competitive game with a lot of complexity and depth, and you can't understand and know everything. So if you get caught off guard and surprised by something in a best of one, you're done. And yeah. oftentimes when you look across these long duration lands, sometimes the team that finishes eighth starts in the winner bracket or even finishes 12th because they have like a great idea in the start. They come in with something secret that they're good at and they take some games off the good teams and they start in the winner bracket and then afterwards they run out of steam a bit or they get figured out and then the true mastermind teams with the most options and the best players and the best strategies can beat them but imagine those group stages were best of one and you just knocked out like this last major that you just saw alliance started in the winner bracket and got 9 through 12 right and yeah. they I guess it's also a little bit of luck of the draw with the groups you get, but you could imagine in any sort of other constellation of these groups, perhaps one of the teams that finished top four could have technically been eliminated in the groups if they were single elim best of ones. It could have happened. Yeah. So it's difficult. It's, it's not. There's a, that's something that I guess that can be said about sports compared to esports is that obviously the same things come into play in football. Like if you have a good day, a second tier team can beat one of the best teams in the Premier League. But it's it's not like because they come in with some sort of crazy strategy where they play with a different ball, you know, and the wind is coming in from the right. And then, oh, by the way, they got lucky a rune spawned on the sideline, you know, this this stuff, it's not really the same thing. Um, so it's more, I would say, in a way in sports, it's more consistently the stronger team that wins. They're more, it's less it's less likely to have these major upsets. They still happen, of course, but yeah. the dynamic of the games are just so different. Our rules and the way our game works is just so much infinitely more complex and and deep that it's difficult to to always get the expected outcome. And that's why we get mm. funny stories sometimes. Upsets are great. Don't get me wrong. I like upsets. Oh, they are um, good. The more games, the less upsets, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. But even so looking at the May the Europe main qualifier. Yeah. From 
NIP, OG, Alliance, Team Liquid, and Team Secret, uh, and then Hippomaniacs, Vegas Squadron, and Final Tribe. Mm. Three teams of those have to get through. Three. And four of those teams feel like very, very strong teams. Yes. Uh, and the other three, and I don't know Hippomaniacs at all, but the Vega and Final Tribe are not slouches. No. So it feel, that's a major in of itself, that qualifier, I think. It's definitely a good qualifier. I think when you look at the teams, you have a clear expectation of what's going to happen. But again, we haven't seen Liquid in play since TI. Are they going to be on form? Mm -hmm. Do they have one bad day? Is that enough to get knocked out? Uh, last major qualifier, it was, if you remember. They actually got knocked out of the qualifiers, yeah. and then they qualified for the minor and then ended up not going. That's why Vega ended up going. Uh, but, you know, are they going to be ready for it? They, have been, they haven't played a tournament in a while. And that could be good and it could be bad. You never know. Like they feel, they probably feel uh -huh. rested. They're like, okay, we have the thirst, the hunger to win again. We're ready to go in. But do you have the experience now of the last months? And then just to make it all even more complicated, let's just throw a new, totally new patch in five days before. <laughs> let's see how that goes. You know? So I, honestly, I have my expectations of what's going to happen. I could be totally wrong. Like e maybe even a team like Secret, who just got second at the major. If they don't adapt to the patch fast enough or have the right ideas and they get overtaken by one of these teams, they could not even make it. All it takes is one bad day. So, But overall, if you would ask me my favorites, I think most likely Secret will make it. Uh, and then I would say I think Liquid and NIP would be my picks, probably. Not OG. See, that's another one of those you just don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, I mean... If you ha if you put on your TI goggles, you would say you would say Liquid OG for sure, right? Because they were the two teams that placed the highest, and then Secret, uh, those three. But I, I don't know right now. I'm I'm ready to be surprised. I just I don't even know what the surprise is or what the expectation I have is. Because now that you mention OG, I'm like, oh yeah, there's also OG. Like, wait, I don't know. Let's see. I honestly, yeah. you, it's hard to know what to expect from OG and Liquid when you haven't seen teams play just for three months in Dota. Three months is a long time. So yeah, it is. Let's see. Talking a little bit about OG, um, I noticed doing research for this that you'd played in the first, second international with Seven Mad, yep. uh, long, long years ago. Mm -hmm. Up until he won the international, there'd probably be a fair comparison between your two careers, and that you've both been quite unlucky, I think, and you've both kind of been in a lot of second tier teams that have done reasonably well and gone to internationals, but never quite made the level that you could have. Perhaps mm -hmm. is there a sense that now he's won the international was it something that you expected from him him to do that? i don't think anyone including himself expected to win ti this year uh <laughs> so i would be lying if i said oh yeah my my good old friend seb is going to ti he's got this i would have never i don't know what odds you would have needed to give me going into ti for me to go for og i would have not given them 10 percent <laughs> even to win that tournament Fair not enough. even five probably so uh, that was a really big surprise. But what I can say about Seb uh, that I've seen over the years, uh, especially the last two, right, when he was mainly coaching OG, he seemed very committed. And while coaching them, he was trying very hard um, and reaching a high ranking on the leaderboards in Europe too and pubs by he wanted to play and be good enough at the game so that he felt like the feedback that he was giving the players about how to draft and how to play together and all of the motivation that he had for them, that it was relevant and that they mm -hmm. would respect his opinions because he proved himself in his ability to understand and play the game. And if you have that mentality as a coach that you really want to you know, play at the highest level while you're coaching the team, then it's very natural at some point, right? If you're given the opportunity, you feel ready because he's already in shape. 
while coaching, right? He wasn't taking like a backseat approach. He's like, oh, I'm coaching this team. I'll play a bit here and there. Try to have an understanding of Dota. No, he was playing 10 pubs a day if they weren't actively practicing. He was really playing mm-hmm. the game. And he's very confident in his ideas. He's very... Um, He's very motivated. I think he has a good attitude toward the game. So you combine those things with the right opportunity and the right timing, magical things can happen. And that's what that's what did. So I I don't Fair think enough. any of his traits go against his possibility of winning a TI. It's just that the team expect like the power rating going into the tournament is definitely not favoring them. But I don't think he's not a TI caliber player. So yeah, absolutely. But would you say, um, so the comparison I just made between yourself and him, would you say that's a reasonable comparison? Do you now look at that, his win, and go, oh, hang on, now I should be able to do that. <laughs> Not, I'm going to win TI, but the, there's hope. Is there an inkling of hope in it? Or? There's always, I always think there's hope. I never, like, I don't give up and I'm like, okay, I cannot play at this level anymore. Because what I personally feel right now is that right now I'm playing the best I have for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm playing the best I have ever, but probably not the best relative to everybody else. I think the best I've played relative to everyone else was shortly before TI2 and shortly after TI1, probably, back in the earlier days of the mm-hmm. game. Uh, but I think I definitely play better now relative to the field than I did a year ago, than I did two years ago. And um, That's good. You know, I took I took that break between TI3 and uh, after TI3, I was out of play for like a year and a half or something, completely out of competitive play. And it takes some time to build yourself back up. Then I got into TI6, which was great. I don't really think too much about it as an active way of motivating myself that, ah, Mad did it. I can do it too. I just, I feel like I can. And I just, I need to put in the work. I need to, it's a, it's a mix of work and luck. Honestly, there's some luck. Mm -hmm. Do you get the perfect chemicals between the players? Chemistry, chemical. (laughs) Do you get the perfect chemistry? (laughs) Do you find the right timing of understanding the patch at the right moment? Because that's definitely a part of why OG won. They understood the patch the right way at the right time, and they just hit that. I think it can. I think it can happen yeah. to me as well. And I'm just. I keep putting in the work. Whatever team I'm playing with, I'm putting in the work, and I'm trying to better myself as a player and as a teammate. And if it's not with this team, then hopefully it's with something in the future. And I just keep keep myself relevant on the map, you know, for that chance that uh, that something else mm-hmm. good will happen if it's not with this. But for now, we're we're putting in the hours and we're we're seeing how far we can go. So. Do you think you've often struggled to? Is it? Would you say now that your focus is entirely on playing, mm, as in as opposed to before, or just in general? Uh, well, I suppose obviously you have a, a life and stuff, but <laughs> I, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I think before you could probably say the reason that, especially in the last couple of years, when you took a bit of a break, that you were more of a caster than you were as a player, Absolutely. especially in how you were known. Yeah. Would you say now that you are a player rather than a caster? I mean, the more effort and the more time you put into it, it, it obviously makes a difference. Uh, if I play half as much as I do now, I will be worse. At the same time, if I play twice as much as I do now, I wouldn't necessarily be better. Like You need to have this healthy mm-hmm. balance where you cannot only play and be like holding yourself to the standard that the more hours I play to, per day, the better I will be. Too much practice can be unhealthy. You burn yourself out. You lose track of what's important. You don't learn as well after the twelfth hour as after the third of your no. practice session. So, but definitely like focusing on it and having it as my primary priority makes a big difference. But at the same time, I would say, apart from those years, those two years, however much it was that I wasn't actively playing, I've always had playing as my priority. For example, around that TI six era with Escape, I don't remember that year if I cast anything. I probably did one or two events at some point, but it was always team comes first, and uh, I was always okay. focusing on on that. But 
the, again, the, the healthy balance between how much practice, how much to play individually. I think my mindset has improved a bit in terms of how I commit and uh, how much I expect from myself in terms of not being complacent with performance. I would probably fell victim to that back in the day, especially around the TI3 times where I, I felt like it was okay that I wasn't playing amazing because uh, I was focusing more on like strategy and drafting and whatnot. But you still can't just be like, I'm okay with not playing well because I can compensate for that. You have to play well. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I think my attitude back then, I wasn't hard enough on myself. Okay. And that's something I've, I've got better at and motivating myself to definitely, you know, lead by example. That is very important. Do you think the age you now are, um, that mm -hmm. that's a difficulty when you're getting a little bit older? Or do you think it doesn't really matter at all? In terms of staying motivated or finding enough time? I think in just in terms of everything, I think there's obviously a time thing. Uh, I'd, I'd also be interested to think if you think there's a physical thing at all. A lot of people have told me they haven't, but maybe there is. Yeah. Um, I don't really think there's a physical thing. There are multiple really great players that are proof of this right now uh solo puppy universe mm -hmm. these players that are still considered absolutely top tier at their positions are the same age as me or even i think universe is older universe I think is solo is the same age 30 or 29 universes yeah i think he's 29 and i'm 28 right mm -hmm. so there's something right probably when it comes to like the way you learn and how fast you learn and what you learn i don't learn in the same way as i did when i was 17. But I think I have other, there's probably the way of thinking about it is that there's other aspects that you're better at, and there's some aspects that you're weaker at, and then it's about playing to your strengths mm. and using what the skill set that you have developed over the years to empower and enable these younger players to use the skills that they have. Yeah. Um, but, but all in all, just in terms of age, I don't think it's impossible to play when like definitely not my age i don't feel like oh i can't run with these kids anymore <laughs> when i see these games i can be impressed by some things where i see these players do these things and i'm like if you put me in the position that this guy was just in i would not have got the same outcome but i can understand what he's doing i can understand what he's thinking and i can understand how i can work around that in terms of strategy or how i can enable other players of that i'm playing with to do something like that yeah and you know, it's it's also a role distribution thing, right? It's probably not a coincidence that most of the older players are playing more supportive roles mm -hmm. and more enabling roles. But even then, there's exceptions to that rule too. So it's no, it's. I think it's interesting to see what will happen because obviously with Dota being released when it was, uh, a lot of the players, the top tier players, are roughly the same age. I think there's not many people who have got over thirty. True. I was speaking to Heen uh, yeah, earlier today, yeah. and he's 31, which is close to the oldest in the scene. Yeah. Um, QQ from LGD is 33, I believe. Yeah. I think it's, it'll be interesting to see what you think these players as they get older, people like Universe, people like Fear, who's kind of still on the edges of playing. Oh, yeah. Fear is a good example, too. Yeah, exactly. Do you think they'll drop out and go into coaching, or do you think there'll be people who are playing well into their 40s? Mm. Well, what makes us think that we can't do it when Federer can still win tournaments <laughs> in tennis, right? How old is Federer now? He's, he's nearing 36, I think. Let me see. He is 37. Oh, wow. Okay. He's born August 8, 1981. I just looked it up. Jesus. And he can still be in the top of his... And that's a physical sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the body is... I mean, the mind is extremely important in any sport, but the body definitely carries a bigger load than it does in gaming, unless you have, like carpal tunnel or something that you can't get away with <laughs> you know so i i don't honestly i don't see why not like we see top athletes in other sports that can play some even into their 40s we've seen in football 
uh, can still be successful in the early 40s, then it generally stops around then. I think most of the football players that you see retire when they've had a really long career are probably somewhere between 40 and 45 those are the old ones. Yeah. Well, there's uh, not... So maybe the limitation is similar. There's not many. Teddy Sheringham it... got to about 40, but that's about it I can think of. Uh, Goalkeepers last longer. But... I, I can't give you, like, I'm not very much into football. Something's just telling me. I remember some Danish football players or something uh, playing on the national team that were like 38, 39, maybe even 40. It's probably some crazy um, Danes, but <laughs> in England, we tend to retire. <laughs> I mean, either way, it's it's a different ballpark than this anyway, right? Because mm. we're talking late 30s, and right now we're talking late 20s on the Dota players. So if you imagine that it's similar in a sense, then we've got 10 years to go. And I don't know if the fine mechanics of playing Dota are harder than the mechanics of playing like tennis or football with your body. I don't really see why they would be. Mm. So it's more of a maybe a mentality thing, and perhaps if the age gap between the players and the whole like strategy thing becomes too difficult to perform having a 17 year old guy play with a 38 year old but that's kind of what's happening in football too yeah, right? yeah, when yeah. You look at like the talented players coming in so once again like why not i i can't think of a reason on the spot until i see any really good reason why it wouldn't be possible i'm gonna say it's possible okay so i'm not too worried about that for now. i'm wor not worried about my age i'm just along for the ride you know <laughs> as long as it's fun and works then i'm doing it have you ever been tempted to step into coaching roles I've had I've coached once for a team. Oh, I coached you? Alliance. Yeah, I coached Alliance at the uh, Manila Major. Actually, okay, that was the one coaching gig I did uh, for a team. It was an interesting experience. Gave me some different perspective. I enjoyed it too. Um, so it's maybe something I will do given the right opportunity at the right time, or if I'm on break and there's some, you know, you see other players do the same, right? Something someone like AUI two thousand right now has been coaching a little bit for forward. Uh, he's uh, obviously played at TI5 with EG and played with mm -hmm. other NA teams since. I think he still wants to play. I'm pretty sure he does, but mm. for now he's doing this. Um, That's the difficulty though, isn't it? You want to find a player who's good enough to coach but doesn't want to play yes. anymore. Yes, that's seems to be the tricky part for most teams. You want a qualified player to coach your team, but most qualified players still do indeed want to play. So it's tricky, and it's not very easy to find good coaches. And there's no guarantee that a good player is a good coach. Mm -hmm. It's a different skill set entirely. But you certainly, from my understanding of you and your playing, you would be a very good coach, I think. So is it? I think I would be a good coach, too. Um, it's maybe, like I said, if the timing is right, if the opportunity is right. Uh, I've been given some offers in the past that I... Uh, turned down at the time. I don't remember exactly why I did it when I did it. I think uh, actually that Manila major that I was coaching Alliance, I was approached by another top team that mm -hmm. also requested me to coach and I, I turned it down because I wanted to coach Alliance for it. It was more convenient for me. It was closer to home. It was easier. And I think I already said yes to them at the time. Fair enough. Maybe. So, but yeah, the, the opportunities have been there and maybe they will come again. So who knows? But yeah. for now, it's playing that's the priority. And just a little bit on casting, I think. So do you enjoy casting? Yeah, of course. Is it if it, I do? If it ended up being your full time career and you stepped away from playing, would you consider that a disappointment, or would it be a nice career for you to have? Well, I enjoyed the year and a half or two years I didn't play and just was really focusing on casting. Right, I was casting and streaming a lot, mainly casting. Mm. I like it. It is a different, like a different avenue to explore and provide entertainment if you will inside the like the game that i've spent so much time and so much energy over the years on 
I like analyzing. I've always been an analytical person in general. So like being able to communicate and get a lot of positive feedback from people that say it really adds a lot to their enjoyment of the game is very motivating. You know, it's great to hear that people enjoy it and that it gives them some sort of deeper meaning to watching and coming close to the players in a way, right? Like that's one of the biggest jobs I would say of the color commentators is, is not only explaining what's happening in the game, but trying to convey the idea of how the players are thinking, which is mm -hmm. sometimes a lot more complicated than people think, and sometimes a lot more simple than people think, surprisingly enough. It's interesting that, you know, given the situation, sometimes people think, wow, this guy thought about this in like 10 different levels, and no, he kind of just, you know, did one thing really well. <laughs> um, yeah, I I wouldn't consider it a disappointment. You could look at it from another perspective, which is in a way I've done some of the greatest thing you can in casting. I've already, I wouldn't say I've peaked in that sense, but I've done some of the most most prestigious, right? I've cast TI finals twice. Yeah. So it's not really like I can go into casting and be like, oh, this is my end goal. This is what I want. I've kind of quote unquote one TI in casting, right? If yeah, you will, yeah. if you think of it strictly as a competitive field where it's like the best get to cast the finals, I've won twice, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah. So uh, definitely that would be a good career for me within that. I still think I'm uh, I still think I'm very suited for commentary. I think I could work I've never had an event I worked where I was like, damn, I did a really bad job or I really didn't work well with these people. Mm -hmm. I think I'm easy to fit into a broadcast and into a team because I'm experienced and I just work well with people in general. So yeah, absolutely. That is something I could do. But again, it's it's about what motivates me and what drives me, right? Right. It's playing. So yeah. Um, but casting has always been something that if I don't get to play, if I don't qualify and there's nothing I'm doing with my team and I'm giving the opportunity, hey, Sint, do you want to come cast TI? I'm not going to say no. No. Uh, it's a really great experience. I love the big LAN events. And of course, it gives a good pay too, right? To work these big events. So that's something that you you can't just ignore nice no. part of it either. So absolutely. I just I love the game. And lands are something special. You know, you're hanging out with so many different people that share your passion. And the players are obviously super experienced and knowledgeable about the games. It's not the same as just going down the street and talking to some people. <laughs> it's something else. We share a different bond, if you will. It's good to hear. The person that you're best known for casting for is Toby. I would say you'd probably cast mm -hmm. the most of him out of anyone. Uh, yeah. What do you think makes you and Toby work particularly well together as a pair? I think it's a mix of, first of all, experience that we know what each other's strengths are. We've cast a lot together, so we know how to do the flow of the cast, just having that knowledge of when to take turns, uh, how to complement each other with what we're talking about. That's just the technical aspect of it. And I think another part is nostalgia that just favors us, that mm -hmm. people connect our voices with the game because when they started watching or when big games were happening, we were generally a part of it. And that means when our voices are heard together, people get excited because it, it just brings back memories. It's like when you hear video game music from a game you played 10 years ago and you're like, oh yeah, this song. You know? <laughs> I, I guess there's a there's a part of that too. And it, it plays in. We're just like, uh, it's, it's part of, of the game in a way. Uh, at these events. So yeah, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy casting with other people. And I <laughs> think I'm good at casting with other people too. It's just, it's the pairing that people are most used to, have heard the most and connect with the most. You've attended either casting or playing. You've attended every single international. Am I right in thinking? Correct. Is there any ones that you'd say is your favorite international out of all of them? I think if I had to choose just spontaneously what comes to the out of on top of my mind is uh, TI3, the atmosphere and the storylines of that were something special because the trade-off that inevitably happens with these 
big events is it costs and it gives something to switch arenas to something bigger. Uh, what we had at Benaroya Hall at TI2 and TI3 was a more it, intimate atmosphere. It's like I think the audience was 2,500 big, which isn't that big, but it was a symphonic orchestra hall. Mm. Uh, the players were closer together. The fans were actually kind of mingling with the players walking around the production. Like the whole thing was more, it was smaller, but the whole, the atmosphere in that hall was amazing because the, the acoustics undeniably add something to the experience and acoustics in a symphonic orchestra hall is something else than in a sports yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it does not compare what that feeling was like on top of that. Um, the crowd was super engaged at the time. It was the whole storyline of this grand finals with Alliance versus Navi was spectacular. The, the final game five was super exciting. Anything could happen. Like all of those things culminated into a very exciting last day. Apart from that, I think the last TI was really good too. A lot of people considered it the best TI ever, or at least one of the best. And I would agree with that. Just quality of games, excitement, storylines, uh, the game itself being played. Probably those two, if you put me on the spot. And I guess TI three still wins a bit, maybe. <laughs> I don't it's know why one has to win anyway. Like, yeah, it's just it's just good tournaments. <laughs> what do you think about the next one being in China? Are you looking forward to it? Uh, I'm curious. I looking forward to. If I say I'm looking forward to it, it makes it sound like I th- I'm looking forward to it more than if it were in the U.S. Yeah, and I'm always looking forward to TI. So I will definitely be excited for this as well. I don't know if it will be better or worse or not matter, but I'm just curious to see how it goes with the with the production and everything coming out of China. I think there will be some limitations and some technical stuff with just even something as banal as the streaming getting around like those problems. But they've said they obviously the Shanghai is going to help out a lot with infrastructure and stuff. So hopefully those problems don't become a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously. The Dota scene remembers the Shanghai Major as one of the biggest failures and one of the biggest memes almost for us because of how many technical problems there were and communication yeah. errors and everything with the production crew. So hopefully Shanghai learned their lesson from this and uh, we get uh, a better production than that, that's for sure. There's no way we get that again. No, uh, but, no they'll um, have more involvement from experience. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So it's going to be exciting. I think the the whole step of taking TI to a new place, I think, is healthy, though. I think it's good to move the world championships around the world, similar to what you do in most international sports, right? Like one year, the finals of football is in one country, the next year it's in another, etc. I, I definitely think that helps grow the game and helps bring in different cultures and different players to the game. And China is a massive market for Dota. It's the strongest region for the game, so... I think, in a way, if you were to think of it from a deserving perspective, it's been nine years now. I think China deserves a bit more love in yeah. terms of events. And I think the reason they've got as few as they have is just infrastructure problems. I definitely think Valve would have liked to give China more than one major. Yeah, But yeah. the one that they got was so bad that they probably just were just like, okay, let's pull the brakes on this for now. Uh, and now it's far enough back that we can give it a second <laughs> shot. People have forgotten. Uh, they have not forgotten. All right. I guarantee you they have not forgotten. If oh, something bad forgot. happens at the Shanghai TI, you can expect people to come out full <laughs> force. I guarantee. Well, they've got Chongqing coming up before, so we'll see. It'll be a bit of a testing. True one. that. True that. There will be a second try now as well. That would be nice, I think. What have you got coming up next in terms of qualifiers and games? We should be playing the qualifiers for ESL. 
the next mm-hmm. ESL, the Katowice one, I believe it is, on Saturday, actually, the 24th, oh, wow. the, the open qualifier starts. So this is a very new patch. We'll just see how it goes. Like, honestly, <laughs> we're, we're going to practice. We're going to get some strategies ready and see how good they are. Probably get super surprised by something being way stronger than you think or way weaker than you think. Any brief thoughts on the new patch? I'd rather not share so much about that yet because our, right. our team wants to keep our reads to ourselves okay. uh, about it obviously people have their own feelings right now in public games about what heroes are broken or uh, what strategies seem insane yeah. but it, it's always different when it comes into competitive play some things turn out to be pretty weak or really strong surprisingly apart from that we have the minor qualifiers that start okay. i think december 1st that's oh, very be. soon then so yeah we've we've got stuff uh ready to to go into soon just before we close off, is there anything you want to mention yourself or plug? You know, it's it's just it's cool if people show interest in this. Uh, if you listened all the way to the end, congratulations! <laughs> you listened to uh, a lot of talking. Um, well, yeah, they signed thanks, up for a podcast. So. <laughs> thanks for for listening to the podcast and for having me on. And thank you for if you're following me or my team. Thanks for for supporting me along the way. Whatever I do, it's always great to hear how I make a difference to people, whether it's casting or playing or they're cheering on me or whatever. It's positive stuff is always great to hear. If you have a fun story or something that happened and it means something to you, then I'm just glad, you know, to to have an influence and be a positive thing in other people's lives. So if you're listening to this podcast because you like that, that's awesome. That's pretty much it. I'm a fugitive running from my past. How long will freedom last? I'm swinging up as a brass. Motivated hustle for cash. I'm puffing the hash. Leave a rapper on the ground with his jugular slash. <laughs> and laugh at- Thank you for listening to the Position 6 podcast. And a huge thanks to Cinderin for appearing on it. I think he was one of my favorite guests so far. And he's, to be honest, left me the least editing to do because he's such a wonderful speaker. So I, I really appreciate him coming on. Thank you all once again for your support so far. If you do want to follow me on Twitter, I can be found at Daniel Offen. That's Daniel and then O-double-F-E-N. And it would be a huge help if you were to share and talk about the podcast wherever you can as usual. I am growing week by week and last week's episode did do really well. So thanks for that. But I think this is content that a lot more people would be really interested in. So whatever help I can get to get it out there would be really appreciated. Again, I have set up a Discord channel, which you can find in the episode description or on my Twitter. It's not hugely busy yet, but there's been a little bit of chat in there, which I've really enjoyed. And I do provide a lot of background information and do announce guests early there and talk about the episodes. So do hop on if you want a good place to talk about Dota. As always, please do get in touch aside from Discord over Twitter or email if you have any feedback or suggestions. I really would genuinely love to hear from you. My guest for next week is another great player, March. He's currently captaining Jay Storm, leading his team to a major almost immediately after spending two long years in the army. And March has attended multiple internationals and is an experienced and well-rounded player and captain. That will be releasing next Wednesday and I recorded it this Tuesday, but I think there's a huge amount of valuable and incredible information in there. So please do check that out when it comes out. Aside from that, I do have quite a few planned guests coming up, which I can't quite announce yet because they're not 100% confirmed. But I think there's a really exciting schedule coming out for this podcast over the next few months. So please stick around and stay on board if you're interested. Thanks a lot for listening and I'll see you next week.